0: Edition of the Six Ps Podcast. We are returning to both Ian and Salem in preparation for our sack. We'll go over the practice sack topics and provide you with some tips and tricks on how to best study for this. That's coming up on the Six Ps Podcast right now. back to the six p's podcast great to have your company once again this is episode p which is beautiful because of course my penchant for the letter p episode p this week and look we're going to do a bit of an overview this week of both the texts and i guess we're going to be really really focused on this upcoming sack should say as well The SAC is exactly the same as the exam, so this might be worthwhile listening to as well if you are preparing for the comparative section on the exam, which is section B. To start with, though, I guess I thought I'd go over some of the basics on what you need to know in terms of preparing for this SAC, and I'm going to start with the texts themselves and your text knowledge or content knowledge. I guess to start with, it's really important that you know the plot of the two texts, The similarities there, of course, is it's two insular religious communities facing a crisis, one being an internal crisis, that of the witch trials in Salem, and the external crisis of the plague suffered by the residents of Eam. But it's really important that you know the basic outline of both plots. As I said to you many, many times before, we know when you haven't read the text, so this is an absolute necessity to know what happens in both the texts of course we did read significant portions in class so you should all be very aware of that i guess the next level then is around characters and for many of you you'll already have a really solid foundational solid knowledge of the main characters or the protagonists um, in the crucible that really revolves around john proctor um, abigail williams and then to a lesser extent, I guess the characters that next come up quite frequently are Danforth, Paris, Elizabeth Proctor as well. In fact, she came up quite a bit in one of our practice act topics. And of course, there are other characters that, that students do lot, like to use and more so secondary characters. And I, and I think it's really important that you don't forget about them. Sometimes we do focus a lot on the main characters, but someone like Rebecca Nurse, someone like Charles Corey, Reverend Hale as well, They're really good characters to explore. I Also, forgot to mention, I guess, um, Tituba, which is one character that um, we saw a lot with, especially in the first practice sack topic, talking about the value of women. So please make sure you have a really solid foundation knowledge of those characters. Um, And obviously in in, in your sack, you do want to discuss the protagonists, of course, in good detail, but if you can mention a secondary character, it always helps as well. When it comes to Year of Wonders, Anna's the protagonist, obviously. She's also the the narrator, so she's a character that you definitely should be mentioning somewhere along the lines, even if it's not her specifically, the fact that this narrative is told from her perspective. So we see the world through her eyes, and that's really, really, really important. Uh, Michael Montpalion and Alan are the two next sort of characters that a lot of students reference, but we all have our favourites. There was one year, of course, when um, John Gordon seemed to come up an awful lot... Um, him being a flagellant of course, but um, Anise and Mem Gaudi are really popular too, just make sure you don't get them confused uh, and also please know that they're not mother and daughter, they are, of course aren't niece. in case you don't remember that just remember niece Anis is Anise. So you've got plot as a very basic thing, characters are sort of next level um, and it's really important of course that you know quotations and you have evidence from the text So when it comes to learning or memorizing quotations, there are a couple of things you can do. You can build a a, a quote bank, of course. Um, That's a really good way of, um, I guess, not only building your quotes, but also um, building a comparison between the two texts as well. Uh, You can also, of course, go through sample responses and then highlight all the key quotes. You can, of course, go through your own copies of the text and find your annotations there. There's lots of resources up on the OneNote, of course, too the main thing of what not to do some of the websites out there are a little bit dodgy in terms of not just the information but the quotations as well so please be really careful especially with the crucible of course it's a film as well Um, we study the play sometimes there are quotes in the film that don't correspond with the play so really important that that you are really careful about what um, content you use make sure it is really really reliable the next step, I guess, the higher up there is comparing the settings and having a good knowledge of both the settings. Um, when it comes to that, I'm talking about things like religion, talking about things like patriarchal societies, male-dominated societies, superstition. Um, just be really careful with um, Puritanism. Of course, Salem is a Puritan town. That's mentioned very specifically in the first four pages in Arthur Miller's commentary. It refers to um, their creed, their values, their belief system as well, and great quotes to remember, of course, as well, and we've been to those in class probably way too much. Um, E.M., of course, is not Puritan. It was a Puritan town. Thomas Stanley was, of course, the Puritan minister, and he comes up from time to time. In fact, he ends up returning to church, which is really significant part of the text, but um, please just note that both are not Puritan towns, and that came up a little bit on the practice sack, so make sure you've cemented that. Obviously the context information is going to be really important as well, and I guess this mainly refers to The Crucible. Of course it is an allegory, so Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible and wrote about the Salem Witch Trials to reflect or mirror his own experiences in terms of the anti-communism sentiment in America during the 1950s. We of course already know about this, we studied Reet Window in Term 1, so we already had a little bit of a knowledge on this, but Miller himself was sent to HUAC. the House of Un-American Activities Committee. So it's really, really important that you have some sort of knowledge on that. Now, if you can fit it in there somewhere in your essay, of course, I recommend that you do so, but please don't pop it in there just for the sake of, you know, using some context information. Of course, both are historical fiction, so they're based on real events, but obviously they've been fictionalised. So while Abigail Williams was a real person, or John Proctor was a real person, They didn't have um, an affair in real life, not that we're aware of anyway. I guess in addition to that, Abigail was actually 12 years old, not 17 as she is in the text. So there's been some liberties taken by both authors in these texts. So as I said, it is both, both texts, sorry, the genre is historical fiction. And I guess the last section in terms of content knowledge for you to know and it's a very minor one in terms of how much of your essay you'll spend discussing them, but their language features. It's the style, it's the structure, it's the language features, um, the meta-language, I guess, the, the language that, that's used in both texts. So when I think about Year of Wonders, I think definitely of the structure of Year of Wonders. It's a circular text, a circular narrative it means we sort of start at the end and then go back to the start and work our way back to where Chapter 1 was, which, of course, is apple-picking time. But as we know, we have two chapters called apple-picking time. So we get both of those. Obviously, the fact that it's circular emphasizes to an extent Anna's growth and emphasizes to another extent Michael Montpellion's um, decrease or, or weakness Loss of faith is loss of morality as well. It's quite significant there. The other main point for Year of Wonders in terms of structure is the fact that it is a first-person narrative. It's from Anna's perspective. When it comes to structure in The Crucible, I guess we look at the three different types of text. We have dialogue, obviously, which is where the characters speak. We get stage directions, which are really quite useful in terms of um, setting up the setting as well as the characters, their positioning, some of the information about them as well. So Tishuba is the main one I always thought. Tishuba and Abigail, to I always sort of think of the idea that Tichuba, um her slave sense, and the fact that um, she was frightened because trouble in this house eventually landed on her back, and the idea about Abigail, the fact that she is strikingly beautiful, that she's an orphan with an endless capacity for dissembling or lying. The other one I should mention as well is Judge. And that comes up in Act 3 because that talks about his, um, I guess, strong stance and his loyalty to his post, his loyalty to his occupation and his job as a judge. There's also obviously commentary as well from Arthur Miller throughout the text, especially at the start. Or Act 1 mainly, we see a lot of commentary. This is really important because it provides us with information about the setting, information about the 1950s, information about the role of women, Page forty. Go there, read it. It's really important. And of course, you can reference these in your text. Yes, um, in your com- sorry, not text Essays in your comparative essays, of course. Please mention um, that in your text essays if you are studying the course which some of you are at AIL. But we're mainly here talking about comparative essays. So, what else could you reference in terms of language features and style and structure? Well, I think similes and metaphors. Um, some something that we touched upon significantly with the golden age back in term one and term two but symbolism metaphors really are quite present in both texts we have the metaphor of the crucible of course and the crucible um, which also sort of is paralleled in um, year of wonders the idea about how they'll be melted down and that what would be left would be the gold um, we of course have um, a lot of references to nature as well we've got symbols um, the apple is a really significant symbol in year of wonders especially in chapter one it's apples 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 She's all apples. Our paper in um, The Crucible is the one that I sort of focus on as well. John Proctor tearing up the warrant, John Proctor tearing up his confession, the idea that he goes against authority, he goes against what's expected of him, and he's his own person. He's not led by other people. I guess the last thing to mention, and this again comes down um, in The Crucible, is irony. It's used a lot throughout the text. The fact that on page one it talks about children were um, barely allowed to talk Um, The fact that Danforth. Oh, sorry, I should finish that off. Children weren't allowed to talk yet, it's the children who hold all the power. In fact, Danforth mentions that it is the entire contention of the state in Act 3 that the voice of heaven speaks through the children. You have the irony there. Danforth himself is ironic as well in terms of how he views witchcraft. It's an invisible crime. He even mentions that, yet he says, I have seen, I have seen, I have seen, later on in the act, in terms of what he had seen in the courtroom. So. It is a little bit of irony, they're just two examples, but there's a lot more if you look further into it. So in terms of text knowledge, those I guess are the really important pe- pieces of information that I would recommend that you focus on in terms of studying um, for the comparative essay. So I guess the next thing I want to touch on is the fact that you have to respond to the topics that are provided to you. Uh, Vicar every year come out and say the same thing and that is that students came in with pre-prepared essays the fact they didn't respond to all aspects of the topic Uh, as I said it comes up every every year so please listen to that it's really really important so looking at our practice sacks we had two the first one and both I should say came with two quotations so hopefully you managed to fit those in somewhere quotes in an essay uh, topic are great they're free quotes use them somewhere. Um, it's up to you where you want to use them. Um, some people really like them in the intro, others in the first or second main body paragraph. i really not too fussed, but I think they're really definitely worth using, definitely worth considering in terms of formulating your contention. So the first topic talked about the value of women within their communities of both texts is dependent upon the importance of their contributions to others discussed. So what we were sort of hoping that you would do is firstly discuss the value of women. How are women valued in both communities? We obviously, um, the first thing we think of is is characters, of course, the female characters. Uh, So when it comes to Year of Wonders, we definitely think about Anna. Obviously, she um, definitely comes from a lower class, but is able to sort of um, strengthen her position within the community, become a really important part of her community, and eventually, of course, flee that community. We have Eleanor, who's a rector's wife, and um, she has substantial connections. In fact, Colonel Bradford really appreciated her substantial connections. We know that. So she was quite highly valued. Um, And then we have Anise and Mem Gowdy, who, while they're a really important part of the community, they helped give birth, obviously midwives, but obviously they were the first to be punished as well. So questioning that value, the value that they had. And I guess that comes down to the fact that they were quite vulnerable women in these patriarchal societies. And I guess we think of Tichaba significantly there And when it comes to the crucible. um, She really isn't valued that much. She's valued by the other girls, but she's not really valued by the men. In fact, she's targeted quite early on. We have Abigail as well. Um, She's highly valued, in fact, the crowds part like the seas of Israel when she holds power in the court. And she's able to dictate and manipulate The whole community and then of course we have a character like rebecca nurse who is really highly revered within not just salem but also outside of salem reverend hale comes from beverly a town um away from salem and knows has heard of her great deeds and then we have a character like Anne putnam who is really jealous in fact she shows her jealousy of rebecca nurse in act one So that's the first part of it, how are women valued. The second part talks about their contributions to others and how that's dependent. So it really allows for a great scope here. You can talk about those characters or those females who are selfless that help others and maybe their contrasting fates as well. You can talk about those who don't contribute to society um, and that value that's held by them. And I guess as well that idea about contributions to others Contributions to other women, to men, to children, to religion even as well, um, playing a really important part there too. So really looking at that whole question. The second question talks or asks you, both the Crucible and Year of Wonders demonstrate that deeply flawed characters can change for the good. Obviously we have two key parts here. We have this idea about deeply flawed characters and the second part about changing for the good. What we really wanted to see here, especially in your introduction, was your definition of flawed characters who have flaws. So are they personal flaws? Are they flaws that are only seen in that religious context? Are they flaws that um, we see in it from a modern perspective? How flawed are they? Um, again, the fact they're deeply flawed. When I talk about deeply flawed characters, we think of characters who have committed great sins. The first two sins we think of, of course, are Eleanor or who committed the gravest of sins in um, the way that she lost her child. Then we have John Proctor, of course, who committed lechery, which is one of the Ten Commandments. So there's that religious aspect of, of their flaws. But then we have the next part about changing for the good. And again, the first thing we think of, of course, is Elizabeth Proctor saying of John, he has his goodness now, God forbid I take that from him. I guess how they change, why they change, the motivations behind the change, and what does it mean to be good? So is that from a personal sense? Is it from a societal sense, really analyzing that idea of what it means to be good? And of course, that last question, part of the essay prompt, I should say, topic, asks you, do you agree? So again, you don't have to agree. Don't feel like you always have to agree. You can definitely argue either way. And I guess that leads us to the third part, of today's podcast, which is about your structure, your essay structure. My first tip is to start with the arguments. Whenever you get an essay question that's for a comparative texts, start by formulating arguments. Then work a contention around that. The reason why I say that is because sometimes, sometimes you'll find if you're too strict with the actual question, you'll have a contention that's very difficult to have or form formulate arguments from. Arguments, of course, are reasons for your contention, so you're answering why you hold that view. When it comes to formulating arguments, really think about the key themes. So what do I mean by the key themes? Well, I mean the things we've been discussing in class for the last three months. Yes, that's right. We've been studying these texts for over three months now, so you should have a really concrete knowledge of the themes. We're looking at things like communities in crisis, religion, religion witchcraft, superstition, hysteria. We're looking at things like gender roles, the patriarchal society. Um, all these sort of key themes, they you are able to tweak them to suit, I'm sure you can, to suit a specific topic. So, for example, just to give you an example, I should say, um, that second one, demonstrate that deeply flawed characters can change for the good, Well, talk about morality, what morality means, how they gain morality, why it's important to them, who defines what morality is. The fact that deeply flawed characters leads particularly to the idea of religion as well. Um, They're flawed based on their religion, and of course these are two theocratic societies, so discussing religion. You could even talk about women, deeply flawed characters, the women flawed or the men flawed. You can talk about gender there as well. So looking at ways to bring themes into your arguments is a really good way to start if you're really really stuck my advice is to look at characters please don't make characters your argument and definitely don't put characters in your topic sentences but just as a way to sort of um, build on your ideas you do get 10 minutes of reading time it's really important that you use that full 10 minutes to formulate your arguments and set yourself up with a really good plan with your introduction focus on outlining your contention and arguments I always suggest to bring in some context information as well. I find the intros are really um, a really good place to seamlessly include that sort of information. It's not a must. And as I said, with any essay writing, there's no concrete one way to do things. This isn't simultaneous equations by elimination or substitution. There's not two ways, one way or two way. There's so many ways that you can sort of do this. So please be aware that there's no one way to write a comparative essay. There are literally thousands of ways that you can do it. We provide you with, um, I guess, the risk-free ways to do it, but of course, if you're really confident, you can take a few more risks and be a bit bolder, and maybe you might include a quote in your topic sentence, or you might include an example to start your introduction. It really is something that we avoid doing in case you get it wrong, because if you get it wrong, um, or you don't do it quite fluently, Um, it can backfire on you significantly. But in your intro, definitely state your contention. Make sure you've outlined all the key points from the essay topic and you've outlined your arguments. And that leads us into, I guess, topic sentences. Your topic sentences obviously outline your arguments and they need to refer to the essay topic. What do I mean by that? We'll have some part of the essay or a synonym from the essay topic in your topic sentence somewhere. So we know as markers and examiners that you are responding to this specific topic. Remember your verbs as well. You know I'm big on my verbs, so the two I always go with are explore and examine. They're great um, verbs to use in topic sentences for comparative essays. They're quite broad, and your arguments in a comparative essay aren't going to be broad. They're not as narrow as, say, a text response essay or a language analysis essay. They can be a bit broader. There's more scope for discussion and comparison if you have a broader topic sentence. Also, don't forget in your topic sentence, mention both texts, Somewhere along the lines, or both the novel and the play, or the author's name, mention both texts and avoid using examples in your topic sentence, or avoid bringing up characters. You want to save that for your evidence. So, I guess the main thing we tell you to do once you've outlined your topic sentence is to talk about the first text, then move on to the second text and compare it. Um, Ideally, we'd love to see comparison similarities and differences within the one paragraph, but again, we know you are under time pressures, and we do get that. But my advice is rather than talking about one text than the other, try and weave in some comparison. So phrases like, while such and such, or like this character, the other character is such and such. So the idea that you're a bit more, or a bit less rigid in in your structure and really weaving it in and going back and forth between the texts, of course, that is risky to do. If you're really, really unsure, focus on that. Text one, comparative vocab, text two let's call it solid it's not going to get you a brilliant mark but it will get you somewhere at least you'll be able to show that you know the text that you can compare Um, and i guess that leads on to the idea about differences please don't get caught up simply on similarities because the differences could really be the difference in your essay mark we see the same similarities every single year this is now the third year we've done these two texts there's No similarity that's going to blow us away, but the difference might. We might not have seen two characters compared, or two aspects of both societies compared, or two themes compared. So be aware of that. And again, if you have the evidence to support it, there's no reason why you can't compare two differences. The last point with structure, of course, comes down to your linking sentence, and you should always have the essay topic in the front of your mind whenever you're writing a linking sentence. You might find it is a little bit repetitive. That's okay. Um, You do need to explicitly link back to the essay topic. For students who are a bit more advanced, you might weave your link in throughout your analysis, and that's fine too. But again, that can be risky in case it backfires. And this leads me to my last point of the podcast, and that comes down to expression. It is amazing how year on year on year we see the same little errors and mistakes being made. And where does it start? Often it's with the spelling. Now we get you are under time conditions. We get that there's a lot of pressure involved with that. And sometimes, you know, we know that you're Russian, sometimes spelling is part of that. But there's some cardinal sins that you can make and they are things like spelling characters' names wrong or spelling the author's names wrong. Please, please make sure you know how to spell their names accurately and correctly. It's really, really important. Not only will it impact on your overall expression if you spell them wrong, it also impacts on your your ability to showcase your knowledge of the texts. Be careful with capital letters as well. So the word Puritan needs a capital. The word Plague needs a capital letter as well. Why? Well, that's the way it's written in the book. But generally speaking, that's how they are written. When it comes to punctuations, punctuate the titles of both texts, so you can either underline or use single quotation marks. With your apostrophes as well, make sure it goes after the S in Brooks, and yes, Brooks is spelled B-R-O-O-K-S, there is no E-S on the end there, that is for sure. Um, Synonyms is another really important thing to be aware of. So in the practice acts, we saw the words like flaws, good, contribution, they were used Um, I'm not going to say a lot, I need a word up. They were used continuously and constantly. Um, Flaws, we can talk about weaknesses. Someone being good, we can talk to them about being moral, about being righteous, or if we're going the opposite, immoral, corrupt. When it comes to contribution, words like their role, um, you could even go on with contribution being a selfless action, or even the word influence works really well in terms of contribution. Contribution. The last tip that I need to give to you is about verbs. I know I've been going on this all year about how important verbs are, but they really are. They really make a difference, not just in your ability to um, write um, with some complex vocabulary, but also they just ensure that, firstly, you've got clear topics in your, or arguments in your topic sentences, that you are obviously explaining your evidence as well without verbs like highlights, demonstrates, depicts, explores, illustrates, reflects, so forth. Um, And I guess as well, um, they're just important because, for me anyway, they help structure really fluent sentences as well. So I guess that takes us to the end of this um, overview of both the texts. No music theme this week, of course, because um, I knew it was going to be a long one, so I do apologise for that. Um, good luck on the sack this week. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can do so at 6pspodcast at gmail.com. That's 6pspodcast at gmail.com. It's been great getting feedback from many of you. In fact, just want to give a quick shout out to everyone that's been listening. Um, we've just... Uh, ticked over the 2000 um, listens to the podcast which is really cool so um, for something that as said to you a couple of podcasts ago was only really meant to be something for 20 odd students or maybe I guess a bit more than that the whole school but um, it's really really cool to see or get so so much feedback from all of you so um, we'll be back probably um, over the holidays I'll do a bit of recording before then Um, we might do some overviews of Rear Window um, to help you out with that For now, until then, good luck and don't forget the six P's, which are the proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Are we finished? Done.